1: to The Piper Carter podcast. You are listening to Piper Carter, and this is Detroit is different. And I'm here. Well, I'm actually in my house, but we're on Zoom. And um, I'm with my two co-hosts. What's up, Brittany?
2: What's up, Pipe? Peace Days. Hey you guys, how are you?
3: Good, good, good. How's your week been? Mine has been pretty good. Um, work has been steady. It's been kind of boring, but it has its busy moments. So I'm glad when when I'm not bored. What about and you? Other than that, my life's cool.
2: What about you, Brittany? Um, pretty much the same. Just work, work really this week. Um, work is work. That's about it. Of course, just like tuned in, reading a lot looking at what's going on like all of us are at this moment so what's going on with you pipe
1: well saturday i left my house for the first time since march 10th. wow and, um i did a deep dive i actually um the our coalition frontline detroit held actually a mourning ceremony by the river for all the folks that have been that have died from COVID, as well as folks that have been brutalized and murdered by police. Um, And we wore all white. We did a processional. We did a teach-in at the water about water and water security, water insecurity, um, water is a human right. And we marched through the streets. We marched up to different historic sites. As you know, Detroit is the last stop on the Underground Railroad. Well, you have Detroit and then you have um, Niagara Falls and Albany and New York, but this is one of the last stops on the Underground Railroad. And so there's a lot of trapped souls in that water there, you know? And as soon yeah. as you cross over, you're in Canada. And um, we did a, we did a beautiful ritual Um, by the water, and then we stopped at the different stops along the way, and we honored ancestors at every stop, and we did a teach-in at each stop. Um, We did a a teach-in around land, land rights, um, self-determination, food, food security, food insecurity, um, environmental justice, um, visioning, um i mean it was just like a really beautiful gathering we had a really great turnout we marched up woodward and we ended up at cass commons and we had drums and it was just really beautiful um and it was a bit different because it was more like a processional not necessarily a protest per se although we were definitely resisting. And then, like I said, we had the different teach-ins at the different spots along the way. So that's what we did Saturday. And then when I came home, I immediately took a shower, brushed my teeth, and um, got some sleep. And yeah, so I feel good. Um, I wasn't like really in the crowd. I stayed like off to the side. I had my mask. I had my gloves. They asked me to speak, so I spoke and I did a little bit of a teaching about visioning. Um, what else? And I think that was pretty good. Trip. So that was my Saturday.
2: Hi, did you um did you talk about like where you guys chose to meet up, like the significance of the spot where you guys met?
1: So, um, if in Detroit, if you go to the beginning or end or however you want to describe it, of the Detroit River, which in Detroit City is our waterfront. Um, like I said, that is the pretty much peak of the Underground Railroad. And so that's where folks would take a boat across or swim across, or be led across, or be smuggled across over to Canada. Um, You know, Harriet Tubman made her way through there, right? And many others, right, who were part of Underground Railroad history. Mm -hmm. If you go all around the downtown Detroit, there's different, um, what is it, Second Baptist Church and other different points that um, are very significant in terms of Underground Railroad, different houses, different families, different abolitionists. If you go to the museum, uh, historic museum, whenever we can go back to museums, um they have an entire exhibit um it's called i think it's called like the road to freedom and they have the whole detroit side and then they show you the river and then they do the whole canada side but if you ever come to detroit and you get to go to the our downtown is right on the water and that body of water there is where our ancestors crossed over to canada to get to freedom and um You know, like I said, many people didn't make it, so they say there's lots of trapped souls in there, you know? They have a statue that commemorates, um, the, the, like, a family that, you know, would have gone over. And then there's a, a, a statue on the Canadian side, and it's, like, missing a person to, you know, show that everyone didn't make it, um... It's the same like statue, just like missing the one person on the Canada side um, and and both statues like face each other. there's also like a super vortex of energy there where um you know if you look on our maps, you know um, you know people that know how to do um you know read maps and things uh you can see that that particular center for Detroit is a vortex it's one of the the, the main energy centers um of our planet which is like super interesting in and of itself
0: there's a lot too. of that
1: you could do about that
2: <laughs>
1: yeah Hmm.
2: yeah that's really powerful you guys look really nice you're dressed in white yeah
1: that's it was beautiful hmm yeah I um yeah it was really it was really beautiful so um that's we, awesome
3: that's we, a great way to come back out of the house
2: <laughs> I think so too
1: yeah <laughs> you know what I did that and then like I took my butt right on back because I think I saw y'all on Sunday and we ran yeah
4: mm-hmm. that was fun
1: well you, yeah that was great
2: y'all ran, was like, really the- good <laughs> I walked <laughs> no we all did it was great it yeah, was really super fun. I had a great
1: time. Yeah, so we got to do that again. The track, the track was cool. Yeah,
2: we were surrounded by like so much, so many trees and greenery. It was great.
1: So yeah. it was like it was cool to be with y'all. Y'all, gave me some energy to my my youthfulness. You gave me my mojo back, my juju.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. that's funny.
1: Yeah, but um, over the last. What is it, like, few days? What I've been noticing um, is, so there's a difference in the temperature. So, like, in 2014 with Eric Mm -hmm. Garner, rest his soul, um, there was, like, a poll done. And in that poll, like, something like 53% of white folks said that his murder was, like, an isolated incident, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Versus a more recent poll that's been taken where it says like 75% say that it's systemic. And so I think that is a very, you know, telling of the difference, you know, that what is that like seven years makes, you know, and the work that's been done, the work that's been done on the ground, the consistent activism, you know, just because people aren't in the news doesn't mean they're not still Doing work and you know, uh, the narrative now, the narrative uh, work that's been happening is really powerful. And, um, you know, Minneapolis has since uh, agreed to disband their police force. I don't know if y'all saw that or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: saw that.
1: They don't have an idea about what that's going to look like, but, um, yeah. So what I want to do is just cut right into it. Like I said, I'm a well, in Detroit, I'm a um, part of um, a coalition. It's called Frontline Detroit. On a national scale, I'm a member of a few different formations. And one of the formations is called the Rising Majority. And the Rising Majority is made up, well, it's led by and power by movement for black lives and so there's a lot of movement for black lives folks that are pushing um you know the work and regarding the rising majority so I think so basically the rising majority is a black and people of color led multiracial coalition with about 85 active organizations and a growing list of over 26,000 supporters. And we're basically a combination of coalitions, local to national grassroots organizations and unions. We oppose capitalism, white supremacy, patriarchy, and all forms of anti blackness. And this means, as a coalition, we must respond to this moment with fierceness and in coordination and with deliberate intent and so the movement for black lives um like i said is one of our well is one of our driving force organizations and they're made up of like i think over a hundred formations including black lives matter and um byp 100 black youth project and uh, um, uh black visions you know so but one of the black visions um i'm gonna say leadership that is in minneapolis that's been doing this work uh, their name is misky noor and misky is a brilliant activist strategist communications person does comms um, is a member of the rising majority and the rising majority um, is going to be doing some convening uh, next year. And I guess we'll all be a part of that. But um, Miski was on the daily show. This clip is like rather long, but the reason that I want to play it is because all of this action that's been happening on the ground miski has been a part of the leadership and i think you know i want to play this kind of long clip but i want both of y'all to give some feedback as to like what you hear okay okay
5: all right
6: welcome to the daily social distancing show
5: (laughs) that's cute that's cute i appreciate that thank you for having me um
6: you are somebody who's on the ground and not just now, but you have been on the ground. Um, take me through a little journey, if you don't mind, just, just for the viewers, to paint a picture of, of Minneapolis. You know, a lot of people were shocked at what happened in Minneapolis. A lot of people were shocked at what happened to George Floyd. A lot of people were shocked at what happened in the aftermath to George Floyd. But you were one of the people who wasn't so much shocked, but rather it's almost like you were like you, you were like, this is what was bound to happen because of Minneapolis's story. Tell me a little bit about that and and, and why
5: you, you believe that. I would say not only just the history of the police in general, right, where we know that the roots of the institution of police come from slave catching and union busting, right, but in the city of Minneapolis, The police department's only been here for about 150 years, but we know that before George Floyd, there's Philando Castile, and there's Jamar Clark, and there's Terrence Franklin, and Thurman Blevins, and Marcus Golden, and Fong Lee, and so many others, and. Minneapolis has actually been the poster child for reform, right? Um, we had a openly gay indigenous woman as police chief, mm-hmm. um, former police chief Janae Harteau. Uh, we received, or a, a, not we, the Minneapolis Police Department received a review from President Obama's Department of Justice. They even received a settlement uh, to receive training to not put people, detainees in prone positions, which is the exact tactic that... Um, Chauvin, Derek Chauvin, used to murder George Floyd. Uh, So, and currently we have a black police chief, Chief Rondo, right? And still the Minneapolis Police Department manages to murder black people in the streets. And so, uh, this this is the um, this is the setting for what happened to George Floyd, and uh, we saw uh, with the murder of Jamar Clark five years ago. Um, you know, our demands back then were actually that we wanted to see the tape of the murder, right? We wanted to right. tape to the public and and to the family especially. Uh, we wanted a DOJ investigation into uh, the. 12-hour standoff that we had with the police, in which they um, really brutalized protesters by driving their bikes into people, um, by dragging uh, young hijabis by their uh, by their scarves, uh, by punching young black queer women in the face. Uh, so we wanted an investigation into that behavior. Uh, we wanted no grand jury <laughs> because we knew grand jury would not get us uh, get us justice. Um, but all of our um, all of our demands were really inside of making the, the system give us justice. Uh, and ever since then, we've actually uh, changed our focus to f- focus much more on uh, abolition and what does it mean to reduce the scope and the scale and the power right. of police. Um, and so that's what Defund the Police is really about. And that's the work we've been doing as Black Visions and uh, Reclaim the Block over the last few years.
6: So let's go through each thing step by step. Um... You, you have lived in Minneapolis for how long now?
5: Uh, wow. I've been here since 2003,
6: so I'm um, coming up on 20 years. Right. And so you've lived in, in this place that is predominantly white and yet, at the same time, experiences predominantly Black people experiencing brutality at the hands of police. I'm
5: sorry, 60% um, of Black folks. Say that again, um, please. Uh, 60% of people murdered by the police or involved in police shootings over the last 18 years have been black
6: people. And what is the percentage of black people in Minneapolis? We're about
5: uh, 12% of the population here, I believe. Yeah. Wow. So it's it's safe to
6: say that a tiny portion of the population ha- has been experiencing a majority of the, the force that the police exerts on on, on, on people. and And I think... That's something that has been missing from the conversation, you know, yes, George floyd has has been the catalyst, but a lot of people, in my opinion or what I've seen, haven't been talking about like you know all of all of the little little flints that have been causing this flame, all of the little tinders that have that have been creating what we' are seeing right now so So talk us through a little bit of of minneapolis's problems, like what do you think has has contributed to what became the explosion that we saw post George Floyd.
5: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I talked to you a little bit about some of the reforms that the police department has tried that did not work. Right. Uh, But some of the, like, numbers inside of our state, actually, right? Um, Minnesota has the fourth largest employment gap between Black and white folks. Um, And we have one of the largest disparities in home ownership at 76% for white folks and 24% for Black folks. Um, And in 2019, we were actually named one of the... uh, Fourth worst metros in the country for Black people, based on education and housing and health, access to healthcare and so many other things. Um, and so, <clears throat> those are the, the those are the the disparities. And as I mentioned before, those are mirrored in the Minneapolis Police Department and the way in which they treat Black people in the state and in the city.
6: Do Do you have any idea of why this sparked the outrage that it did? You know, because Minneapolis does have this history. Minneapolis does have this pain. You know the black community has been subject to to countless, as we've seen. I mean, even the officer in question had something like 20 previous complaints against him. Yes. What, what do you What do you think sparked Minneapolis's rage the way that it was sparked after George Floyd?
5: An organizer here, Jason Soul, uh, said um, in in a video that Minneapolis was one bullet away from being Ferguson five years ago. It it wasn't a bullet, right? But it was a murder. It was a murder by the police. And so um, that foretelling and that clarity um, really hit me. Also, the really underlying current of all of that being organizing. Right. We didn't stop organizing um, after the media stopped paying attention in Minneapolis or many other cities. Um, as police continued to brutalize and kill Black folks, um, we continued organizing and talking to our neighbors and and having conversations about defunding the police and what could be possible and, and what would what community led safety could look like. Right, and, right, and that's that's that
6: that's something. Sorry to interrupt you, but that's something I I, I really wanted to chat to you about. I, I really found this interesting. In 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 and around the work you've been doing in Minneapolis, because before I, I would argue before it became you know in, in vogue to, to to talk about this, you you've been one of the organizers on the ground in Minneapolis, working to defund, abolish, and and foster community uh, policing or community accountability and 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 I wanted I wanted to talk to you about that. What has that been like on the ground, and what does that actually mean in terms of the communities? Working within themselves to hold people accountable, because I I think a lot of people have heard snippets of this, but don't truly understand what it means.
5: Um, It's honestly a lot of organizing uh, and and storytelling, right? It's organizing folks um, or. it's organizing folks, it's organizing our community members to really take their own power back and telling the story of how it actually is their power, right? So many folks are disillusioned with um, politics or elections or um, even their own like city governments, uh, because they don't actually see themselves reflected there and they don't actually see themselves heard. And so we really wanted to engage our community's imaginations about what could be possible and how we could protect one another. And we've really seen it become possible during this uprising right, the police really left us to ourselves when white supremacists descended on our cities. And so it's been community patrols, it's been uh, medic trainings, it's been food drives and transportation services and handing out PPE and Narcane and training folks how to take care of each other that's really actually protected us in this time. And that's some of the work we were doing before. In 2018, Black Visions and Reclaim the Block actually forced the city council by getting hundreds of community members out Repeatedly to budget hearings uh, to remove 1.1 million dollars from the police department and reallocate it to things like the Office of Violence Prevention. Before this uprising, our city government planned to cut that office. Right, their plan was to remove it. We only got wow. it to ago. Um, we haven't even had a chance to see what the great impact of that could be, and so one of our demands has been you got to fund that, you got to fully fund that for years to come. And so those are the kinds of things that we want, and those are the kinds of things that we're trying to get our community um, to fight for so that there can actually be real protection for Black folks and other marginalized communities because uh, you know, the announcement yesterday was amazing, and what got it to happen is the on-the-ground, on-the-ground organizing that folks have been doing uh, for years, uh, not not only in Minneapolis, but all
6: around the, the country. It, it it really was huge because you had the city council come out and say that they're they're committing to working to dismantle the police department as we know it. And this 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 I mean has blown people away because I don't think this is a conversation anybody thought any city council would ever be having, you know, now. It didn't seem like it would happen. And and clearly the protests and the and the and the movement have creating have created something. Activists and organizers like yourself have created something. Um, Is this what you want to
5: see? Were you happy when this was announced? 100%. 100, percent and on Prince's birthday, I'll name. So you know, Prince knew something about the revolution. Um, but yeah, uh, this was one of this is one of the things we wanted to see. This is a win. We've seen a lot of wins over the last two weeks. So I want community and people to really claim that and really understand what's possible with people power because uh, we can do this and we can really craft a world in which all of us are safe um, and all of our dignity and humanity is honored. And um, the public commitment is great the work continues, right? We actually have to see some things pass. We have to actually have conversations. Um, Minneapolis is making history by beginning a community-driven process to dismantle MPD, and decades of organizing by communities have led to this. Um, But we have a lot of hard work ahead of us, and it's gonna take every single one of us learning new skills, and building new relationships, um, and really trying things that we haven't done before. Uh, right. But we really believe that the reward is going to be a city that uh, really invests in life-affirming policies and programs and services that care for our people instead of police that terrorize us.
6: Before I let you go, um, I know that being an organizer is often thankless. Being an organizer is extremely difficult. And now more than ever, people are willing and, and, and excited to help organizers and activists who are on the ground. So, if there are people who want to help out in Minneapolis, if there are people who want to send resources, where do they find your organization? Where do you think that they should um, drive their resources towards?
5: So, you can find us at Black Visions MN, at Black Visions MN on Twitter. Um, on on Instagram and Facebook. And we are, you know, come see see about us. We're a Black-led, queer and trans centering organization with healing and transformative justice at the center that's really trying to build powerful campaigns to get Black folks free in Minnesota. Um, Reclaim the Block and MPD 150 are also really great resources to learn more about defunding the police and abolition work. If you have questions... And if you wanna to talk to your neighbors and your family about this, and if you're curious and you wanna learn more about community-led safety, definitely go there. The Movement for Black Lives is a great resource. Um, check out um, you know all of the different organizations doing work, Black liberation work all across the country. Um, and then uh, we actually, if you wanna help uh, support with your dollars organizations that are on the ground, if you go to bit.ly backslash fund the community, you'll find a bunch of organizations on the ground uh, um, or and, and funds on the ground in minneapolis that are part of this ecosystem that are supporting uh, folks on the ground and, and uprising work in this moment
6: Misky, thank you so much for taking your time today and uh, as you say congratulations to you and the community on your win and hopefully there'll be more to come thanks so much trevor appreciate you
1: so what do you guys think about what you just heard
3: i thought it was wonderful she's very well spoken Um, I agree with all of her points about how we're going to have to do more community building and just building relationships and doing things that we've never done before. Um, But I kind of feel like, I don't know, I wasn't around, but um, there's just, I don't know. My family always talks about how like neighborhoods used to be different, how you used to be able to rely on your neighbors to like watch over your kids and everything like that. So I don't know. I just feel like maybe that's where we need to get back to just taking care of ourselves like we used to. So I agree with her. I thought she was great. I thought that was a great segment.
1: They, risky is they. Oh, they uses they pronoun. What about you, Brittany? You got any uh, thoughts?
2: I uh, I hundred percent agree with uh, the both of them. Um, so you know, you mentioned. I'm a strong believer in neighborhoods and black clubs and people becoming more familiar with each other, um, uh, being intergenerational. You know, believing in being intergenerational. Um, I think that's huge. I think um, they were very ar- articulate, and I think that it was important for um, for you know the articulation because many people have uh, activism. I think misconstrued. Or I think it's misunderstood, and sometimes um, I think that you know if we only look at it through the, the eye activism through the eyes of the media, we don't really understand or grasp all of the concepts and purpose of protesting. So, um, similar to our guest last week, you know they talked about strategy and trust. Um, you know it falls in the same. I think in the same. You know boat of uh, what we just heard. So. It was great.
1: So do do I? So I want to um, play another clip. Um, like I said, one of uh, so that was Miski. <clears throat> from Black Visions Collective. Black Visions Collective is one of the organizations that's a member of Movement for Black Lives. Movement for Black Lives, um, like I said, has at least over 100 orgs in its ecosphere. And it's the driver for the rising majority, which I'm a member of the rising majority because East Michigan Environmental Action Council is a member of rising majority and also Climate Justice Alliance, which East Michigan Environmental Action Council is a member of um, Climate Justice Alliance and Climate Justice Alliance is a member of the rising majority. So- Mm -hmm that's how I know Miski. And remember when I went to Miami? Yes. Yeah, I stayed with Miski. Was one of the activists. We went there to go scope out
2: Miami. That's um, cool. And I yeah. also want to say also want to say that um I thought it was cool that um solutions um were shown that actually worked, you know, through activism and protesting and staying active in city council meetings. You know, the fact that they have already been successful in defunding the police shows that the strategy, um, you know, there is a strategy for that, you know, that it has been done. Um, but to um their point, you know, it has to it has to keep going so that you can see the benefit in it. So that it can be, you know, uh it can develop. It can actually have, you know, a stronger effect. So I thought that was thought that was really interesting.
1: It's like being an athlete, you know,
2: mm.
1: it's like you have to practice,
2: yeah, and, you know,
1: if you want to win races, you know, no athlete just goes out there and just wins, you know they they're on a special diet, they practice, they get their mind right, they get their rest, you know, and it's the same thing with trying to get justice, you know, um you go out there and you practice and everything. And then you got to follow that stuff up with attending, like, you know, these city council meetings and, you know, studying and strategizing and, you know, voting and and, and holding your officials accountable and reading the, 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 you know, the news to know what's going on and then, you know, building relationships to, you know, um, stay connected. So, yeah, like, yeah, that was a lot. Yeah, I want to play another clip. Um, this one, this one is a bit longer, but I'm not gonna play the whole thing. But we'll just play a little bit. This is another one of uh, my one of my comrades, Tenjiwe, is also a part of Blackbird Organization, which is a part of Movement for Black Lives. Tenjiwe is also a strategist and also um, helps push forward you know, a lot of policy and things. So um, Tenjiwe was featured on, so that was, we heard from Miski, who was featured on The Daily Show. And this is Tenjiwe is featured on CNN
7: to discuss what defunding the police actually means, what it looks like, is Professor Alex Vitale, the coordinator of the Policing and Social Justice Project at the Brooklyn College, and Tenjiwe Makaris, an organizer with the Movement for Black Lives. Both of you, welcome to the program. Tenjiwe, I wonder if I could start with you, because Robert F. Kennedy was a leader, and he was white. And I've heard in the aftermath, obviously, of what's happening right now, that many people in the black community are tired and don't believe that their elected, mostly white, leaders can do the job, that it has to be black communities in their own communities, on the streets, etc. Do you agree with that? Is it time to, to to take the initiative away from the traditional leadership? Well, well
8: first, thank you for, for having me. Um, I just want to start off by saying I am so moved and so inspired by Black movement, Black leadership, people taking to the streets across the country from Minneapolis to St. Louis to Los Angeles to New York. We are watching something that is so historic, so profound and really is a number of things. But one thing it is, it is an outcry from the belly of the streets, from the homes of Black people across this country, sharing that we are done watching our people die. We are done watching our loved ones be snatched from us. And it is also, it is also people across the country saying that we will no longer be told that demanding what we deserve is impossible, that it is not practical, and that it is not something that could happen. We believe that we can win. We believe that we can actually have safety in this country. In terms of elected officials, we have watched from the White House to the mayor in Minneapolis say that certain things like um, uh, reimagining public safety in localities or defunding the police across the country is not something that is possible or not the right choice. It is clear that we have elected officials in every level of government in this country that is not centering the needs of the people or even the rights of protesters, that is centering the needs of the wealthy that is centering the needs of those that do not have the best interest of people or the planet at heart. And so our position is, one is that we elected officials who are not able to center our needs should not have the positions that they have, and that the, the solution to the problem, that the solution to how we fix this issue of anti-Black racism, of injustice in this country, has to come from the mouse, has to come from the truth of communities. We have been saying this for generations. And
7: we will continue to say this for generations. So very quickly before I turn to Alex.
1: So, oh wait, she says one more thing, Listen, us see. Vitaly
7: for some, some sort of sociological details. Are you pleased then? Is it a big step in the right direction, what the uh, Minneapolis City Council did and talked about dismantling the police department there and shifting uh, shifting the sort of, you know, the emphasis? Absolutely. It's a lightning rod to the rest of the country
8: of what is possible, and it's also a product of the courageous, bold leaders on the ground in Minneapolis. I think now, more than a time, uh, more than ever, we need to be thinking about what what is community-led safety infrastructure that will take its place? What is a way to defund and divest from policing as it it exists now and investing in the actual needs of our communities?
1: So, Dustin G. Way McHarris, um, speaking on uh you know the idea of community policing and defunding police and like i said tenjiwe is a strategist with movement for black lives and also blackbird so i wanted to get both of your reaction to the idea that minneapolis police are saying they're going to defund you know they're going to dismantle their police as we as they as it exists and create um and that there's going to be some form of community-led safety uh infrastructure what what are both because people because have y'all been having people say or thinking um if they don't have police then what do they have do they have National Guard? Do they have county police? Do they have vigilantes? Is it white supremacists? Are people in trouble? Does everybody need to buy a gun, like, or do you, you know? Do you do you guys feel hopeful that people can police themselves? That people will be safe? Like, what are y'all's thoughts to all of this?
2: I think it's going to depend on you know you know. Of course, my final thoughts are going to really depend on what they decide um, the structure will look like after it's completed. I know they want to go into some brainstorming there's some things that they need to do. Um, so it'll just be interesting to see what direction they truly, truly go in. Um, and I do believe that if it is in a form of allowing, you know, there to be, you know, neighborhood leaders more so uh, it being, you know, more uh, community driven, I think that it's possible Um, I do think that, uh, of course, there's going to have to be some type of structure, but, you know, I think that um, this decision just reflects not only the situation with George Floyd, but, you know, as we all see it, um, you know, it seems like they just have a really strong history of allowing this type of brutality on a lot of their forces. You know, we can think of, you know, you know, two or three years ago within the same state they were having, you know, national, uh, you know, unfortunate recognition about their policing. So, I mean, I think that this is very unique times. I think that um, the energy that is, that has been poured around the world in regards to, you know, this happening, um, I think that they're moving in the right direction and hey, have the right activists. You know, in my eye, just by listening to, Um, you know, what we just heard, you know, to move it in the direction, uh, the right direction for it to be positive and possibly a blueprint. And
3: um, what are your thoughts, Deja? I pretty much agree with what Brittany said. Um, I really just want to see how they're going to structure it. I was reading an article earlier that said that, um, well, it was, I think it was a CBS article and they um interviewed someone during the press conference at the when they announced that they were gonna defund the or not defund the police but basically um restructure it. And someone asked, What are they gonna do when they need to call nine one one? Who's gonna come? Um, and I thought that was a good point. So they just have a lot to work out and I don't know. I don't know how it's gonna work. I hope anarchy doesn't happen as a result, but I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens, mm-hmm. but I thought that that clip was great, yeah,
1: um I wanna play this one clip from um Alicia Garza. Alicia Garza is one of the founders of Black Lives Matter. This one's a bit long too clip um this was on n b c this was um yesterday. Oh no, Did it, with a flip, this stupid commercial. Give me like one second, <laughs> you know. I had it on pause, I had gone past all the commercials, and then the stupid commercial people came back, you know, which is like truly annoying. So, okay, here we go. Let's uh start this clip again, and here we go.
6: Uh, let me start with this, uh, the symbolic painting of 16th Street with the yellow paint of Black Lives Matter. Uh, and I know it's symbolism, but I, it was on the front page of, of so many newspapers on Saturday. Uh, I'm curious, it went from a hashtag in 2013 to now majority of Americans, a multiracial coalition uh, rallying around a symbol right now, what does this mean, and how do you take this from symbol to,
7: to policy?
4: Well, I think what this means, Chuck, is that Black Lives Matter is not just a radical idea. And frankly, when we look at there's a lot of consensus, and the consensus is that it is time to do and use our money and our resources in a fully different way. At the end of the day, Chuck, everyone can agree that we don't have the things that we need to live well, and that we are using policing and law enforcement in a way that far exceeds its utility. And we have to pay attention to this. From generals to Congress people to protesters, what we're hearing across the nation is that our priorities are in the wrong place, and that this is an opportunity for us to change And so what I'm looking for right now, and I think what millions of Americans are looking for right now, is real change. Not tinkering around the edges, but going straight and directly to the root. Why are we using so much resources to address? Oh, it
1: looks like her feet went out. Making sure that we limit the size
4: making sure that we limit the size, scope, and scale of policing in this country. Uh,
6: What you have, when you hear the phrase, when Americans hear the phrase, defund the police, um, you're not calling for defunding police departments and getting rid of police. Explain what you mean by that phrase.
4: When we talk about defunding the police, what we're saying is invest in the resources that our communities need. So much of policing right now is generated and directed towards quality of life issues, homelessness, drug addiction, uh, uh domestic violence, and, and conflict between people. Oh, she's breaking up.
1: You know what? There's another clip, and it explains defund police a bit better. Well, I don't want to say it explains it better, but her clip. Her, her reception is kind of, um, her reception is kind of going out. And there is a, there if you is find a. The other
2: clip you should put in, I think it. I think that's a good clip to play. Which one? The one you're saying that breaks down the defunding.
1: Yeah, she was breaking it down. Um, but she's going in and out. All right, here's one. I just don't know who, I just didn't wanna play some white activists. I was trying to play you people that I I know are on the ground uh, that are doing things, you know. Um, I had all these clips pulled. Let me just um, pull up my history real quick. What about this one? she She broke it down pretty good this look one, at the this one is a bit old because, um, when I say old, this one was from June first, but um, she does a great explanation, and uh her name is Kianga Yamada Taylor and from Princeton University, and this was on Democracy now, and it might seem a bit dated, like I said it's from June first. And since then, you know, the protests have not been as, uh, quote unquote, violent as they were. But this is when um, the protests were like super violent. So but this is but but um, this is a great explanation uh, right here. And this is also a New York example. But I think it it basically fits, you know, like in general.
0: Look at the kind of wanton, rec- reckless uh, uh, abuse and violence Uh, that the police are instigating and attacking uh, people who are trying to to, uh, protest. I feel like what we've seen uh, over the weekend is a a national police riot. Um, And, you know, it's no wonder they feel emboldened by the white nationalism of the uh, president of the United States. Um, and really the lawlessness of the Republican Party writ large. And so um, I, it feels like we're bearing the consequences um, of that. But I think that there is a, a bigger issue um, about the cops that is also uh, worth talking about, which is why these police are um, never uh, arrested, prosecuted, punished, really, uh, even beyond just you know arresting and prosecuting people, but just punishing them um, as public servants uh, for uh, their their kind of uh, racist, abusive, and violent um, behavior. And I think that, you know, regardless of what these elected officials have to say, um, I think that we're actually going to see a lot more of this, which is why the, the conflicts um, will continue. And the reason why I say that um, is because... It has been a strategy of cities across this country that have committed themselves to not investing in the civic and public sector infrastructure. Uh, So public schools, public hospitals, uh, public libraries, um, all of the things that um, make a city function, those have been systematically defunded, um, increasingly privatized. And the way that cities manage the inevitable crises that arise from that. When combined with unemployment, when combined with poverty, when combined uh, with uh, evictions and all of the insecurities that we see racking cities across this country, the police are used to manage that crisis. And that is why in city after city, as other public institutions take financial hits, as other public institutions uh, are, are defunded, it's the police that always get to maintain their budgets. And we look around now where, because of the COVID crisis, every city is talking about massive budget cuts, but not to the police. The police almost never have to incur layoffs, they never have to incur budget cuts because they are seen as the public policy of last resort. And so, this is when we talk about defunding the police, it is that. The police should not be absorbing a third of the budget, as they do in cities like Philadelphia, Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, while we're closing public schools, while public hospitals don't have the proper uh, uh, personal protective equipment. Look at the way that police are the gear and the equipment that they have compared to uh, hospital workers dressing themselves in garbage bags, being forced to use the same N95 masks for weeks at a time. Look at the contrast between that, and then you understand what the actual priorities of the governing uh, uh, politicians and bodies are, which is why, and this is the last thing I'll say, the, the hypocrisy of someone like Andrew Cuomo or Bill DiPlasio, or any of these politicians coming on television, on their uh, uh, the press conference, wringing their hands about uh, the police, uh, uh, talking about these issues as if they are passive bystanders or just concerned citizens and not elected officials who have power, who have authority, who have the ability to punish the police, who have the ability to make budgetary priorities, who have the ability to shift resources in one direction or another. But they sit back and act as if they are just watching the train wreck in slow motion and not that they are actually in control of the gears. And this is part of the hypocrisy that is making people so angry, is that we have these people, elected officials getting on television, talking about how terrible this is. Andrew Cuomo saying, say her name. Andrew Cuomo, do your job. And I think that this is part of what is forcing people to feel that they have no other choice, no other response than to rebel because the levers and mechanisms of government that are supposed to attend to these issues have shown themselves to be completely broken. So
1: that, did that one kind of, I feel like that one very clearly Mm -hmm. talked about, you know, what it means to reallocate resources from you know the police which have been heavily invested into and back into the public you know back into the public infrastructure which would create healthier communities you know mm-hmm. if folks had access to healthcare and food and you know um schools education you know and all the things that you need water water you know um but I thought I thought that explanation was like really, really good. Oh so what what are y'all do y'all have reactions to anything that was said on that
3: one? Um no. I like I like the others, I agree with what she said. I like her ideas. Um they're well thought out and I feel like that's a great place to start.
1: What about you, Brittany? You still there? Brittany? I wonder if we lost Brittany. Or you're on mute. You there, Brittany? Okay, maybe Brittany walked away for a minute. Well, mm-hmm. I think that um, you know, in general. A lot of what's going on right now, the way I see it, it's a lot of re-education that's happening, you know, all around. I think even just in terms of, like, how we do society, because as everything's opening back up, in my mind, well, we had a conversation about school. So, like, how is, like, if we're looking at, you know these new this new society and these new systems and like what information is going to be needed what information is you know is not going to be needed right do we even need you know school in the traditional way that we had school before where you have a building and all these people descend upon a building and then you have these classes you know the whole thing with uh With schools, these schools, you know, many of these schools are being asked to get rid of their, you know, their police systems because these schools have been employing uh, more militarized police systems, right? We've seen a lot of school shootings. We've seen a lot of violence at schools. Um, So anyway, that's just like one, that's just like kind of one strain that had been brought into the conversation by, you know, by, I'm gonna call it regular folks that don't do activism you know like those types of questions but I'm just wondering um, Brittany you know I was asking Deja if she had some reaction to that clip and I want to know if you have reaction to that clip you there Brittany? yeah
4: I'm back my bad I had
1: to step away for a second oh did you get to hear the clip?
4: I got to hear some
1: of it but I mean Um, did you have any reaction to it? not
4: really Say that again. I said I'll skip my reaction.
1: On this one. Wait, I can't understand you. Hello? Brittany, you there?
2: Yeah, can you hear me?
1: Now I can. I didn't okay. understand what you said.
2: I said I'll, I was just saying I'll, I'm going to skip my reaction on that one.
1: Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, but um, I don't know if y'all have friends that are in school or uh, going to head to school and if you've spoken to them or if they have any thoughts about you know entering this new this new school year i mean this you know this one's finishing but you know have you had a chance to talk to people about their thoughts about you know um i guess the role of education or people that are thinking about what they're studying or you know is is this knowledge even useful like moving forward like do you guys have friends that are in school that you've been talking to?
2: I mean, uh, to me, not really. Like my, my nephew, he's going to Madonna University for college next year to play football. And, you know, he hasn't said anything uh, out of the norm other than he was, you know, upset that a little bit about how his senior year ended. But not prompt, not being able to go to prom and, uh, you know, not being able to walk across the stage technically, but I haven't really spoken to anyone about what the structure of next year's school is going to look like for grade school or, you know, college. And if anybody really has fear, I would really like to know how a teacher feels to be honest. Oh, you know, I did hear, I did, I was, uh, on NPR, I did hear um, teachers saying that, you know, usually uh, there's things that they're able to prepare for, you know, that is shareable amongst students, Uh, like, you know, certain, you know, let's just say, like games or, you know, uh, accessories or tools that a teacher would use, and, you know, you will use it maybe, you know, uh, five to, you know, five students to a a package or five students to a, a certain, you know, utensil, now, you know, they have to think about providing that for each child, you know? So again, that's just a little bit of insight that I've heard, but I would like to hear more from teachers because, you know, uh, that's going to take a lot of discipline, you know, to follow these CDC guidelines. And I don't know if these school districts are prepared.
1: I wonder too about your nephew. It's your nephew, right? That's going to school? Yeah, yep. I wonder too if your nephew is is slated to play football I'm interested to understand how that's going to happen you know um me too feeling
2: COVID me too Is I know it, he says he, the scholarship he still, or something. yeah yeah and I know he says he st- he has to he has to report in August um and you know like today I passed by uh the old Tiger Stadium which they've uh, turned into like a power league and there are teams out there playing baseball people sitting in the in the stands so uh, i don't know this is all interesting it seems like half people are in half people are out when it comes to the realities of covid and where it sits and we keep
1: saying that they that they keep saying that there's going to be another outbreak so yeah just trying to brace for that right I think um, that might be another show. We need to talk to some folks that are in the education system to understand like what, because also too, in my mind, I'm thinking we're in the 21st century. Um, Even before all of this, Elon Musk has a rocket and he's been uh, selling tickets To rich folks to uh get in that rocket and go to mars he's hired jeff mills aka the wizard one of the best djs in the world from detroit to dj you know on on this this spaceship rocket thing right but i'm
0: thinking
1: you know in terms of the future of education like at this point, what's the purpose of education? Like, what are, what are, what's useful to study? Um, if we're, you know, if, if things are gonna be different, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, what knowledge is useful and needed? And, cause in the past, education had been for industry and industry had been, you know, it's changed over time, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, at one point it was all machines and, uh, you know, building cars or, you know, doing steel or, you know, lumber and and this kind of thing. And then now, uh, you know, we're looking at more of like information, uh, programming, coding, uh, building uh, components. There's a lot of, you know, uh, automation, AI, you know, um, uh, holograms. And I don't know, I'm just thinking like, what's the purpose of education at this point? Like, what 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 should where should what should people be studying like, definitely medicine, right? But you know what 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 other knowledge do y'all think is going to be useful in the future and like what why, you know what what's gonna what 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 um is going to be the purpose of education at that point? Do y'all have thoughts about that?
3: Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, I don't know where to start. I think like mathematics and algebra is good um history well basically all of the subjects but it's just about what isn't important within those subjects do we need to teach yeah because and and explain to the children why we're teaching them as well as or even people that just want to um that are just seeking knowledge it's important to know why you're seeking it as well
1: but even like you know, like what's useful to know, you know, um, you know, farming, uh, you know, sustainability, right? Like, what are you know, uh, critical thinking? Um, I mean, hopefully, history. Uh, you know, uh,
3: it would be honest.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and it'd have to be. Aeronautics, right? Like engineering. Um, I'm just thinking of the things that you know. Like, what are the what are the career paths, and then like, what what are the what what's the education that's needed to get through those career paths, and then and then even just like the process, right? Because like, does it make sense anymore to have, you know, class like a physical classroom with a teacher in it with a whole bunch of people learning the same thing at the same time, like, you know, as all of this COVID is happening, like with everything moving to online. Um, I don't know. This is like stuff that's going through my brain. Like we, I think we need to like try to find some folks that can answer these questions. <laughs> I think so too. Yeah. Like, you know, cause it's like, I was volunteering at the school And I think about all those kids and I, you know, I still text them and their parents and everything. Um, But I just think of like, even just education in general, right? Cause like, uh, even like when I was coming up, right? And I think I had this conversation, but uh, like I grew up between Detroit and New York City. I went to private school and I went to public school in both New York and in Detroit. And there is a lot of pieces of information that I was missing from moving around so much and moving from different cities and private to public or public to private. But then, you know, so at certain points, I'd be behind in certain things. But then, you know, in other things, I'd be like way ahead because I will have had it before and i know how to do it and blah blah blah. and i know that that was the case with a lot of kids that moved around right they were either like way ahead or way behind but then they introduced something called common core and that really meant that if you were in new york or new jersey or los angeles or in the midwest if you were in the sixth grade then no matter where you went in the nation in the sixth grade you should be learning the same thing right so no one would be ahead or no one would be behind. But as we' as education is transforming, as society is transforming and as COVID has come into play, it has me really thinking about um, just like the role of education, the role of a, of a physical school, you know and and even like just thinking about like kids that might be in other countries, right? and the things that they're learning and how our kids could, you know, connect with kids, you know, all over the world. I mean, they've always been able to do that, but you know, now it's much more streamlined or easier or whatever. Yeah. And, and now more than ever, you know, our kids have this, this um, technology gap, right. Because everyone doesn't have, doesn't have a phone or doesn't have a computer So while kids are at home, you know, a lot of them don't have access, right, to do their just their regular homework. But even my brain was just going to, okay, uh, now everything is kind of sort of open in a way, right? So you don't have to like, quote unquote, like go to school in your neighborhood, or even go to school in your city, or even in your country, you know? Like you have access to like all this knowledge and what are the ways in which we could help equip and prepare people to be, you know, lifelong learners, to be producers instead of consumers, to be thinkers, to be innovators, right? Um, And to be on the world, you know, uh, 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 contributors to, to make the world better. I don't know. This is like stuff that's going through my brain. It seems like kids at this point, if they're not gonna have to go to physical school, they could kinda go to school anywhere per se, right? Or no? Like if you're going online.
2: I'm pro homeschooling it, it, when it's when it's possible. Um, I've always been intrigued by it, so I mean, The concept of kids not going into a physical classroom, uh, I can visualize it. I'm not against it. I do believe in kids socializing as well. So um, I just think that there's a lot of domino effects when you talk about, um, you know, changing school. I mean, you know, I think COVID has shown that a lot of the American school system is somewhat of, a end babysitter or hiring uh, daycare, to be honest. I mean, you peer, you've seen so many parents complain about childcare and what they're gonna do. So, you know, you're talking about affecting another industry, um, you know. It, it, so it, it just is, would be interesting to see how it all would come together. I mean, you have a six-year-old who doesn't go to a physical classroom and they stay at home and, um, you know, they're getting, you know, 80% of what they learn uh, online. Um, you know, how does that look for the parents? Like, so it'd just be interesting to see how it all come, came together. But I, I am for, a, 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 a you know, not only for police reform, but definitely education reform, especially when it comes to the black child, the inner city child, I mean, There's so much reform that needs to be done when you you talk about, you know, to your point of, you know, curriculum that would match industries that are forever lasting under, you know, COVID circumstances. But, you know, what does it look like for a Black child to learn more about people who look like them, you know, instead of whitewash history and not, you know, learning enough about, you know, what finances looks like and generational wealth and examples of it, you know, so on and so on. So I'm for it, but, you know, I understand that it, it, it doesn't just affect, education reform doesn't just affect the child or the teacher, but it also affects the parents, which some people will believe parents need to be more involved uh, with their children's education anyway, so.
1: What about you, Deja? Do you have thoughts about that or friends who are having any of these challenges
3: um I personally don't have any friends having those challenges but like Brittany I like the idea of homeschooling I've always considered that like a path for myself like for my children if I ever have any because I just don't trust the system but um yeah I don't know I I think homeschooling is a good idea but it just i don't know you have to find time to make your own curriculum but i think it's better because when you're teaching your kids what you want them to know and it'll be more personalized because you'll know their interests and it might be better
1: yeah it's all interesting to me um i mean and then uh we're getting you know the, the entire state of michigan is getting ready to reopen and you know universities and schools and things well the universities have already started um sending out letters for for uh the dorms and everything like that you know wow so that's going to be interesting I know some young people that are already like preparing to go to the dorms I think they I think they're getting ready to go soon like maybe next month or August um so I definitely want to uh, try to get like a couple of, um, of 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 college kids that'll be entering college. I want to see like, you know, what get their take on it. And I definitely want to talk to uh, some educators because I know some professors and stuff that were telling me about um, their kind of apprehension about going back, you know, with the reopening because universities have like, some universities can have like 50, 60,000 people, you know? Yeah. If you think of like a U of M, you know, a huge school like that, or, um, you know, it's one thing to like, try to deal with class size, you know, with K through 12 or whatever, but imagine university because all that stuff's like certifications and then they have like hundreds or thousands of classes that they have to try to you know, reschedule, and then they were saying that they were trying to push everything to be online, and then it's, like, how do you, and that's the whole thing other too, right, like, you mentioned socialization, Brittany, you know, because, you know, some of it is, like, getting to know your teacher, and then, you know, really working to get that relationship with your teacher so that you could, you know, maybe get some private time to try to understand the information, right, like, some office hours and stuff yeah but you know if uh, if they if uh I don't know I mean maybe I come from the old school, but sometimes I would have to like physically go to the teacher's office to sit down with them for them to like show me some stuff for me to get it um especially, I mean, especially like math or whatever you know I'd have to like physically see it and see it worked out or whatever but I don't know. Like, we'll see. I want to I, wanna, I wanna dig into that a little bit deeper. I think the other thing, too, that I wanted to ask you all about is, um, you know, because now we're about, we're getting ready to reopen, right? I mean, we've been kind of going through a process where people like, you know, Brittany, you'd always been going to work. Deja, you just started going back to work. Where do y'all's take on uh, the Michigan reopen or the Detroit reopen
3: um I have co-worker like I haven't gone out shopping or out to eat or anything but people at my job have and they um they say it's weird going out to eat like when you go to a restaurant um I think you have to wear your mask until you get to your table or something like that and it's all very spaced out um yeah, I saw uh waiters like at outdoor restaurants, um, like I'm sorry, at restaurants with outdoor patios that wearing masks. So yeah, I don't know. I don't I wonder what stores are like. I don't know if I've talked to anyone at my job that's gone shopping yet, but um yeah, I don't know, you probably just have to wear masks there too, I assume like you do at the grocery store. Probably have stickers on the floor for and everything else
2: yeah what are your feelings about the
1: reopening or do you like you know like are you ready for the reopening are you looking forward like what are your are you apprehensive like what are your thoughts um, and feelings about you know reopening I think it's next week or week after
2: Brittany oh I mean um it is what it is at this point. Either we end up like Arizona, where y'all are under another state of emergency, or we are more like Georgia, where it seems to be doing okay. So uh, it's either way, it's inevitable. Either or, it's either or. So I think that in general, personally, I feel like the phases have been um, have been fair. I mean, it's it's gonna get hot. You're not gonna be able to restrict people. I mean soon as the weather first broke back late April early May people were starting to you know be around I say when it became quote-unquote legal again to be around you know what was it like five to ten people I mean people were already doing that like a month before so it would just be interesting to see um also I have had co-workers that the, the bars opened up Monday I have had two co-workers that have gone to the bars and they said it's just like normal, like people aren't really got following the guidelines at all. So, uh you know, and I think, you know, I don't know if Jaira is going to care, but I think he started a new job and he was telling us how his job is requiring him to get tested. And so hearing about his process was interesting. I'm just shocked that um now that testing is more available, that, you know, we're reopening, that they haven't been really pushing people to go and get tested as much as I thought they would have been. So. Uh, yeah
1: yeah I mean I'm like I'll be honest with you I'm gonna continue to do the social distancing only because you know they keep saying that there's gonna be another outbreak and like you said I think there's been an outbreak in a couple of cities
2: yeah there has been they said six something like 16 I think
1: whoa so yeah I mean I'm just like preparing my myself to like just kind of continue with the social distancing until all this stuff gets under control. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'm gonna be going to any grocery stores. I mean, you know, I I got someone to go to the grocery store for me and I'm thinking like, okay, what need do I have to like be shopping? You know, like random shopping, like, I mean, just for anything. So um, I think I will continue to whatever my needs are, just um, order them online. And I know this is like to get more people online, but I'm just like thinking about being uh, more safe than sorry, if you you know. And I, you know, I'm not trying to be paranoid or whatever, but just you know, working to be cautious and aware. I've been trying to do as much research as I can to look at, you know, ways to mitigate it once, you know, the reopening starts, but it's like you said, you just have to continue to wear your mask, uh, if your gloves, if, if possible, uh, continue to wash your hands, and yeah, like, I, I just don't think I'll be comfortable going inside of any buildings, like my co-working space sent an email, shouts out to Bamboo downtown, and she just gave the whole thing about their reopening plan and i sent her email back and i told her i really appreciate um them sending the reopening plan but i'm gonna fall back i'm not really gonna like go in and i just requested like if they have any online ways that i could like still get the trainings and participate and they do so you know that's that's, awesome that's really cool because i really need you know that type of support but uh Yeah, I don't
2: know. And then both of y'all go inside of buildings, right? Yeah. I mean, Deja, I mean, she she works in one building, but I mean, uh, every once in a while requires me to go to see an actual building, but primarily I'm sitting at, I've been working from home, uh, you know, 90% of the time, but um, the little bit I do go in, I'm sitting in front of the same desk I sit at every, you know, every single day. And my office isn't technically reopened. Otis doesn't reopen until, I think, uh, across the board, like June 29th, 22nd, something like that. So it's coming up, but, um, you know, so most of the time they basically are telling us if we do need to come in because we do have to, you know, gather things for mechanics, you know, try to be in only, you know, a third amount of us at a time, so.
1: And have the It'll mechanics be a- in the elevators? I'm sorry? Have the mechanics continue to be fixing elevators? Uh, yeah, yeah. Their work was essential. So what, so. Have, have you gotten a chance to speak with any of them about their thoughts or their experiences or how they feel about... Um, yeah, the I mean, climate they or the were,
2: climate? when all this first happened, they were, uh, a lot of them were very, very, you know, Uh, paranoid to go into hospitals naturally right and then so basically we made it to where that guys that were you know diabetic or had previous cancer diagnosis um that they weren't on the you know like the, the call list for uh going having to go into hospitals and we tried to make it to where that they were only exposed to you know, a specific type of uh, business segment that wouldn't, uh, you know, allow them to be around so many people. Um, but from there, you know, there were a lot of guys who, you know, knew that them going into hospitals were inevitable because hospitals were busy at the moment, so elevators were going to be going down. Uh, so, you know, the first uh, I'd say month and a half, it was some of the hospitals were, you know, the the nightmares that were on TV. From their experience, um, but then, as a, you know, I'd say like late April, early May, a lot of them were saying that, you know, they understood what the hospitals were reporting that they, you know, it was time to uh, possibly uh, go back to taking other patients because the, the the you know, if the climate had calmed down some, you know, they weren't, you know, running out of hospital beds as much, and PPE seemed to be you know flowing better. So um, other than that, you know, many of them were, you know, if they weren't having a service hospitals. as time went along, they became, you know, a little bit easier about, you know, going into buildings because, you know, we had proper PPE, we had protocols and, uh, you know, we're, you know, trying to do a good job of, you know, helping manage, you know, where they went. So, yeah. Interesting.
1: Yeah. Because you know that and that and that's Otis is like you know that's the elevator. Uh, they they install and repair elevators for like all our not all but many or most of the commercial buildings.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So that's that's so keep us up to date on that because that's like a interesting topic and in conversation because you know they're building that skyscraper world. Uh, Dan Gilbert is building that skyscraper. It's supposed to be like the second tallest building in the world that's what they say um, he wants it to be taller
2: oh he wants it to be taller than the renton which renton as y'all know it's like is the tallest building standing in detroit right now but he wants to make it to where it's taller and that's what's been actually that's what actually held up the first phase of the project with it being bidded out to all the industries was because they couldn't necessarily get it architecture art you know get the architecture completely right on it because of, you know, science, you know, it, it just, the way that he wanted to design wasn't necessarily doable. So they had to keep going back to the drawing board on it. So it is just, it's supposed to be multi-use too, you know, the plans are. So I just think that, you know, when you talk about industries being affected, like I think real estate is going to be really interesting, like co-working, co-working, uh, working spaces and, Um, you know, the city of Detroit is building all these different apartment buildings and they're all still being built, you know, as we speak that where people are basically living on top of each other, even how I live, you know, it's not as big of a building as a high rise, you know, like the riverfront apartment, but you know, is that going to all have to change? You know, if, if there's a second wave that will determine, I think, you know, how people live, choose to live, you know? in the city all together you know so, and yeah.
1: also too like the uh you know when it, when you're talking about like this this real estate like there were well, right before covid there were all these different projects there yeah many projects and i noticed on her reopen plan that construction is one of the um industries that's gonna that's a Uh, considered essential now or on this you know one of the first ones on this reopen plan Mm
5: -hmm. and I
1: I noticed that a lot of them have continued but I'm like what's interesting to me and we need to try to find someone to talk about this too is with the reopen plan and all of the different guidelines um, what is it that's going to be different about the way that they are designing these spaces like on the inside you know Right, so that you can have people, or you know, we need to find we need to find people that are working on this. Yeah, yeah.
2: I, I mean, all, I mean, you look at all these, you know, all of these buildings are multi-multi use. You know, like high rises that have like rooftops on the top of them where you can overlook the city, where you're supposed to go to the pool with your neighbor. Then go downstairs and go shopping with your neighbor. And then go to the bar with your neighbor as well. You know, like, does that all change?
1: Some of that's going to have to change. Like, I was just thinking, too, like, I, I'm like, oh, my God, I love the gym. But I'm like, okay, go to the locker room. That's a risk. Go to the bathroom. That's a risk. Go to the pool. That's a risk. You know, doing all the machines. Those are risks yeah in the the exercise rooms you know those are risk um I definitely don't feel confident or comfortable to go to no restaurant I'll be honest with you um and yeah it's just it's just the reopen I don't know it's interesting I'm gonna just pray for everyone and wish us all well because that was like such a nightmare um with people just dying like that you know in the in the in the hundreds the thousands it was like just a, it's just a nightmare and um nightmare for the families you know night nightmare for the the people who are you know going through it you know um so yeah i'm not really looking forward to that but i'm i'm preparing for it if that makes sense Understand. yeah mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Well, we've been talking for a long time now. Um, I've had fun. How do you guys feel?
3: Me, too. Another good show.
1: Well, do we have an artist for this week?
3: I was just going to do Dilla's Soul Stakes is High.
1: That's, a, that's always that good. Is... That's a J Dilla beat.
3: Yeah, I'm like, this one is always relevant,
1: so why not? <laughs> and this are high, aren't they? The stakes are pretty high.
3: <laughs>
1: okay. you yeah La,
3: <laughs>
1: you know De La Soul is one of those groups that um you know they're 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 I mean I would consider them like a pretty mainstream group at this at this point and when I say mm-hmm. mainstream I just mean in the sense that a lot of people know about them mm-hmm. um but you know they're independent and they've been independent like all this time And I I think, you know, that's something to to say for a group because a lot of groups have broken up at this point. And that's one of the groups that have continued. I mean, I'm not saying that they've done shows consistently throughout these years, but they've made an effort to like not have any drama, to, you know, be together as a group, you know, um, their DJ Maceo, has a lot of different projects and things. He supports a lot of um, DJs and music producers and other artists. Um, you know, they've always been invested and involved in what we would consider like conscious hip hop or like elevation. And um, you know, they work with Jay Dilla. They have great music. You know, for the most part, they've got like a good image. Um, and they've just—they're just one of the groups that's been able to keep it together. You know, over the years. Um, so shouts out to De La Soul. Shouts out. Yeah, and the stakes is high. Well, uh, <laughs> did you guys have any last words you want to leave with folks?
3: Um, just when voting season comes, just get out and vote. Still got to do what we can to get the right people in place to want to abolish police, like yeah. they are doing in Minnesota. So, Still need to get out and vote when that comes. I know in Georgia there was some voter suppression going on yesterday. Um, in some parts, people had no problems at polls, and in other parts, this one girl I follow, she had to wait in line for five hours. Wow! Um, no. First, like the the electronic polls weren't working, and then they wanted to, wanted to go to paper polls, but anytime they go to paper polls, shit gets messed up. So she ended up staying in line for five hours. I think she said that someone ordered pizza because they'd all been out there long enough to get hungry. Wow! So it was just crazy. So that is yeah, crazy. We got to do what we can, man.
1: Okay. And uh, and what's your Instagram?
3: My Instagram is Katori T. That's C A T O R I I T.
1: Awesome. Got any last words, Brittany?
2: No, I second
1: what Daisy said. Wonderful. I think my last words are: um, as people prepare to reopen or as cities are reopening, just you know, everybody stay safe and do what you need to do to keep yourselves and your and your families and your homes and your environments um, safe out there. You know, wash your hands. You know, make sure you have your PPE, your face mask. Um, yeah, and just you know really try to keep be consistent with these habits so that um we're not the person you know continuing to spread and uh just wishing lots of folks safety out there as you're protesting um lots of energy to the folks that are doing organizing lots of love to the teachers and the students man um that didn't get to go across the stage and didn't get to have the tradition but uh You know you're gonna be moving into this new chapter of your life, so just want to send you lots of love. And of course, this has been the Piper Carter podcast. You are listening to Piper Carter with my co-hosts Brittany and Deja, and this has just been a really great conversation. I think I love having this time with both of y'all. We got to get back to the track.
5: Yeah,
1: quarantine stomach. (laughs) Do (laughs) it. Listen. Uh, you can check us out on social media. We have. We are also on DetroitIsDifferent.net dot net with the rest of the other podcasts that are on cool. the Detroit Is Different network. And you can check us out on social media. On Facebook, we are PC Podcast. That's our Facebook page, and we have a Facebook group that's called Piper Carter Podcast on instagram we're pc podcast and uh we're not on twitter yet but i think we need to start a a twitter because maybe we can start some conversations but check us out like subscribe and have a great week this has been the piper carter podcast
4: Peace.
8: Let me tell you what it's all about. A skin not considered equal. A
4: has more Remember to like, share, subscribe and always
2: listen on Stitcher, Google Play, Apple Store and Spotify.
8: You know is high. you talking about Love of cars, love for funs, loving to love mad sex, loving to love guns Love for opposite, love for fame and wealth, love for the fact of no longer loving yourself, kid uh-huh. We living in them days of the man-made ways, where every aspect is vivid Word. These brothers no longer talk shit, hey, yo, these niggas living it. About to give it to you 24-7 on the microphone, plug one, translating the zone one, No offense me. to a player, but yo, I don't play, and if you take offense, fuck it